Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is a Monday football reaction. Monday finally feels like that. We've been waiting forever for that. This will be my a second of the day. I was on this morning with Bruce uh, Hurdle. I had actually forgot about that. Uh, so, but I, that, I that's a, why I yeah. wasn't hearing from you. In the manner that I uh, usually right do. the morning schedule yeah. right slightly because altered you were, uh, you today were working. and it will be tomorrow as well. But uh, for me, this is uh, uh, it, it barely feels like show number two because I cannot imagine between Bruce's thoughts on the game and your thoughts on the game that there's going to be a lot of overlap. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to the program here. I think it's going to be very very different takes on the way that you feel about it. Following the Broncos, eighteen to seventeen, uh, last minute loss. To the Arizona Cardinals. We'll get the good doctor's view here in a few uh, yes, minutes. We will. And yes. I, I have Dr. a feeling that my well. uh, my sense of things will be similar to uh, his reaction. And, and, and I want to ask him, or you can ask him, you'll, you'll be talking to him uh, first. Yeah, he'll be joining us. Uh, listen, double, yeah. uh, I, I just want to get his sense, because I've never talked to him about this before. What you can glean from a preseason game. What are some of the things that he looks for? And the first thing I thought of putting my amateur psychologist hat on for a second. Amateur psychologist slash decades long football. I'm looking for body language. And you know what else I'm looking for? To see if the names on the back of the jerseys are spelled correctly Uh, by the organization, the newly disciplined Denver Bronco organization misspells the name of the hot young running back in camp who scores a touchdown at the end that puts him ahead 17 to 10 and probably should have won the game. But in any case, they didn't spell his name right. Now, this is the new discipline that Sean Payton, and I know Sean Payton isn't singularly responsible. He's not out there so primarily responsible (laughs) for this. But this is is an organization-wide move to bring a newfound discipline to the Denver Broncos and like the amateurs that they remain, they misspell this kid's name. It's it's unfortunate. Julian McLaughlin's name uh, misspelled instead of McLaughlin, which is spelled you know like generally McLaugh L I N is the way it's generally spelled. Right. It's easily spelled. It's a pretty common it's name actually, actually, quite frankly. And, but then they spelled it McLaughlin with a G. So <laughs> look, it, it is it's a it's a typo. Okay, I get it. It's it's. I- it's a it, typo. It is so at the same time. It is so Bronco. It is so utterly unprofessional. Just the symbolism of it. I I know it's not the end of the world, but it it boy it, it is the, it yeah. symptomatic. It took a few of what ails this organization. Unprofessional from top to bottom. 
these are the kind of things I, I think that ownership wants to tighten up. Remember last week you saw uh, a great article that ever post uh, about Carrie Walton Penner, about how she had uh, worked with players, how she's there all the time, how, how players feel comfortable with her. And some of them, uh, Jail Skinner, for example, already had experience uh, with her. So that comes out about about the way this is going to be. You know, why, players why organization. Isn't, why isn't she running the day-to-day? I mean, she's the daughter Right. Yeah. Why is the son-in-law? Why is the son-in-law who is? I'm sorry. Commonly viewed. Commonly viewed by anybody associated with the organization uh, as a bit of. um, I'll put this as gently as I can. Kind of an awkward guy to be around. Well, he was okay. Just awkward guy to be around. I understand, but she she has as much in the way of football knowledge as he does and a better, apparently a better relationship with players connects more with players. I mean, the only one who really knows football in the ownership group was kind of Lisa Rice. Yeah. Who by far knows the most about by football, but but I think that's where the sort of the, the, the optics of that screw up because that's not really a football thing, right? I mean, that's that's the attention to detail in the business side uh, that presumably people who spent four point six billion dollars they'd have it together, and it's you'd again, think they'd have it together. It's a typo. I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but when you are trying to well, turn, you're, you're, you're saying there are people in Germany who reacted to your <laughs> you know, what do we call it now? Because it isn't it a Twitter tweet. anymore. I still call it a tweet. Social it's X. So, anyway, how about this? Are you changing to social right. media post? But, but it took a second post of yours before anybody picked up on it. it. And like by it. the time people started picking up on it, well, weren't there German outlets yep. that were yes. putting it out yes, there? Yes, I had to go. Uh, I had to get on my uh, Google Translate because I, I actually do speak another couple languages, but German is not one of them. And I had to uh, send some stuff out there. But it, it's all good. And. Um, it's it's just an odd situation for the Broncos to have that kind of optics when you're. It, it shows how. I'm not. I guess I'm not willing to go quite as far as you are with it, Sandy. But it shows the amount of work. Friday that, at, the, at the game was the one year anniversary from that ownership taking over for to, to the day, and it shows how much of an overhaul they have to make and how badly the drop off. The Broncos slowly made after Pat Boland could no longer manage day-to-day operations with the Denver Broncos. The slide was almost imperceptible at first, but by the time that the sale hit, you started to see how systemic those failures were. And little things like this are the kind of things it's these Owners, I, I feel for them a little bit, a little bit. I can't, I never generally, I can't, it's hard for me to feel too bad for people who can throw $5 billion to something. But I, I, I get the idea they, they bought into this NFL team and they, it's almost like you bought a house and you walked into the house and you realized, oh, oh, wait, oh the foundation's cracked. Okay, well, I, I, we kind of yeah, knew that was you, ready. You know what? But they you're also going that. one at a they time. Well, this that. cupboard doesn't close and this water hookup isn't right and this bathtub leaks well, and you're not finding did, it out did, until you actually turn it on the first time buying the kansas city chiefs or something i, I mean I, maybe, I don't, maybe they did realize that and it's it's taken it, it's it's take i've said it before this is t- turning around an ocean liner not a jet ski and it's going to take a well long said. time and broncos fans need to understand that but it also means for the organization that they have all these things pop up and and they're gonna have to, okay well that's another thing we have to fix but uh, listen 
onto the game. And I, I was talking to Danny Bailey, our great producer before. Extraordinaire, if you will. Yeah. And Danny Bailey had the best idea of all of us. He did not watch the game live. And I said, well, if you had watched it and forgotten for the moment that it was a preseason game, you would have said, well, it's game 18 from 2022. It fits right in with the other 17. Fits right in. The same unimpressive to incompetent uh, hmm. organized activity on I the field. You have a very different take on it. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. This is from the head coach who was asked naturally after the game, not about the outcome, but about, I think, Russell Wilson, first and foremost. And we, before the game, listen, the, only, the, the main reasons to watch the game were. One, two, and three, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, and Russell mm-hmm. Wilson. Exactly what you said. Okay. But here's what I thought was different, and in its own way, it kind of impressed me. He sort of brushed past that and said, you know, we lost the game and I hate to lose. Mm-hmm. And I, left unsaid was, I hate to lose to a team like this that is generally considered to be one of the two or three, if not if not the worst. Inarguably the worst. Yes. Okay. Then one of the two or three worst rosters in the NFL. And when it was ones against ones, they're throwing your offensive linemen around like rag dolls. And then their third stringers just plow right through you when you have a 17 to 10 lead in the final moments. So I thought basically the last eight to 10 minutes and the first eight to 10 minutes were God awful. And in between it was two bad football teams, uh, even allowing for the usual sloppiness of a first exhibition game, looking like two bad football teams, two of the worst five to 10 teams in the NFL. That's what I saw. Thoroughly unimpressive. Uh, Not disastrous because there's no such thing as a disastrous preseason game. I don't care if you lose 49 to three. No. There's no such thing as a disastrous preseason game, especially a disastrous first preseason game. There there is no such thing. There's no such thing. Uh, Dan Reeves won 10 games his first year. The first preseason game, they looked like garbage. They, They looked like they wouldn't be able to beat anybody. And they, Dan Reeves was a new coach in 1981. First game was a preseason game. They looked off. They got absolutely annihilated at home. And they went on one ten games and almost made the playoffs first year. And probably in, a, in most years, they would have with 10 wins at that point. A 16-game schedule, go 10 and 6. Most of the time, make the playoffs. So I, I, I'm not saying that we draw firm and definitive conclusions, but if you're asking me to assess the game, I would say unimpressive. Uh, I thought Denver's best quarterback was the third guy they used. And if, again, if you didn't know any better, you'd have said Denver's best quarterback was the third one. 
and their best running back was the guy whose name they misspelled on the back of his jersey. Well, see, at first, I thought that maybe the Broncos knew what they had at Julio McLaughlin and were trying a very clever way of hiding him from other teams' <laughs> rosters yes. in case they wanted to sneak him on <laughs> that, the Packers squad. Right. Then, of that's course, right. I realized that's they, they, probably they not what happened. Them. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. You know, again, it's a first game. I'm not going to draw any hard and firm conclusions. But, you know, we'll ask Rick Berea, you know, what do you look for in a preseason game? And I think body language is going to be up. This kid looked good. Looked good to me. Looked confident. Looked like catch the ball coming out of the backfield. It wasn't just the four rushes for Patient. 20 yards and Patient a touchdown. But good runner, good instincts. And, you know, he's all-time leading rusher. So, mm-hmm. In the NCAA. Now, the, the drawback with that is he's also had already 1,250 college carries. That's uh, obviously when, when you look at. As as the coach that, pointed out, and again, the coach was, I, I liked the coach uh, after the game. Some of what he said, he said, let's not forget he did fumble and he was lucky enough that the ball bounced left instead of right. Mm-hmm. Or flew out of his hands. Out of, yeah, went out of and bounds. it went out the wrong way and it went out of bounds. It could have That's gone into the coach field thing to, play. to point out. Right? And he pointed that out. He pointed that out. Good for him. Uh, but uh, I got the feeling the coach's basic review of the game was um, this is the team I thought I got, and it's going to be uh, a season, I suspect, filled more with failure than success. Well, we obviously want to get your reaction as well. 303-831-1340 is the number. We can go to the, the phones. and I a, take it you are somewhere in the middle between where I am and where Bruce was. Yes, same. exactly. But uh, let's see where Dave is. Uh, Dave, how's it going? Uh, Sandy, you nailed this. Um, the last few years, people, other pundits on other stations uh, you were a part of and Altitude and them, you know, they keep hyping up the Broncos. They keep trotting out the same guys year after year that can't play. And like like you said, the offensive line, they keep throwing money at guys that great organizations like the Ravens and 49ers let go. Why are they letting go of good players right. if they could still play? Right. That, I agree. Uh, it, I mean, Kyle Shanahan knows a good offensive lineman. Absolutely. Dad coach, you know. And yeah. <laughs> uh, Garrett Bowles hasn't been able – he hasn't been good ever. You know, maybe one year. One year, 2020. Garrett Garrett Bowles. I I want to get your reaction to this, and Sean's too, obviously. Garrett Bowles at 31 looks done to me. He he had a broken leg last year, uh, missed all but five games, and he just looks like he's done. He's washed up. And, you know, it's too bad that he broke the leg last year. Um, But I, I think we have to remember that this isn't your typical first-round draft choice going into his seventh year. He was drafted in his mid-20s. He's 31 now. And I suspect he, if he has anything left, he doesn't have much. And he, he and Powers, you're exactly right. They look terrible. They were getting thrown around uh, the other night by maybe the worst defensive line in the NFL. You, you've nailed it. I mean, it, it so reminded me last year when they went into Buffalo. And uh, even though they were playing their seconds and thirds or whatever they were, they were so outclassed by, by Buffalo seconds right. and thirds. Right, 
you know, and I was looking for a glimmer of hope, you know, that they said that, you know, uh, Russell Wilson is in better shape. You can't get away from anybody anymore. No. Look like to me, he, he looks done. I mean, I, I saw more yesterday from the kids starting from Purdue with the Raiders than I've seen with the Broncos in the last five years. Yeah, and, and first games can sometimes be misleading that way, I think, to be fair because I was reading a review of all 16 of the games that were played over the weekend. And if not in most of those games, in many of those games, the second and or third stringers look better than the starter looked. And of course they're generally playing against second or third team defensive opposition. The one thing that was different, though, about Russell Wilson that distinguished him from any of the other starting quarterbacks, I believe, and I'll stand corrected if I'm wrong on this, only Russell Wilson remained out there when the opposing team was putting its second stringers in entirely. So the only touchdown Russell Wilson scored as quarterback of the Broncos the other day came against the second string Arizona defense. All of the starters had been pulled, and clearly Sean Payton wanted to give Wilson and the offense, it wasn't just Wilson, but the offense generally, even the guy who caught the touchdown pass dropped the pass, an easy pass. Yeah. It would have been a first down right. on the on the play before. He wanted to give the offense a chance to enjoy some success, even if it came against second stringers from yeah. maybe the worst roster in the NFL. I, I, yeah. Totally agreed. I mean, just going back to Judy there, he drops the ball. It's clearly it should have been a first down. In any other circumstance, they probably kick a field goal there in a regular season game. Well, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, they do. Probably. But that's what preseason is actually for. If if, uh, the other night was any indication, they might miss the field goal. Yeah, I mean, that that, that is a – like you keep saying, this is what lousy organizations keep doing. You come in and you let – you let a, a proven kicker go. It, it baffles my mind that you would do that in the first place. When when games are razor thin, every week in an NFL game it comes down to usually a kick. It's a two well, or three point game, and, and, and you let one of the better ones go. You're, you're right, and, and we've got to move on. But I, I would just yeah. add, I would just add to what you said, and there's not much I can add. But I, I would, I would add that. There is so much here to fix, and when you try to fix something that wasn't broken, one of the few things about the Broncos, in particular on special teams and on the team in general, that wasn't broken, that's the guy you change out. Bizarre to me. Of all the new things they could be looking for, new people, uh, changes they could make, their first big change is to change out the place kicker who admittedly did not have his best year last year, but you bring in two guys, uh, one of whom had the yips during the playoffs last year, and the other whose leg doesn't seem to be of adequate strength uh, to uh, be all that effective. And for a lot of people, including those who have been watching this kind of stuff for years, uh, the Bronco place kicker on opening day, is not presently on the Denver Bronco roster. They are still looking. And we'll get into that with a a lot of other things, of course. Uh, If you're a a Bronco fan hoping for a positive uh, spin on it, uh, 
I guess I'm your guy over the rest of the program. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best uh, to do that. But we will take a look. It is a Mental Health Monday, so we'll take a look at some of the Broncos' ideas on the way they've approached this game with uh, their former performance coach from the Super Bowl 50 season, Dr. Rick Perea, who joins us next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. It is Monday, a mental health Monday after a football weekend. And joining us, as you will, every Monday for the checkup from the neck up is our friend Dr. Rick Priya from Think One For You. That's thinkoneforyou.org. Doctor, thank you for joining us. I, I want to start off with this. Uh, the Broncos, when the starters were in yesterday, uh, did not run the football very much. They they went with a pass-heavy script. That doesn't surprise me because I assumed all along, if you're going to play your starters, specifically Russell Wilson in a preseason game, and Russell Wilson's turnaround is the key to the season, you might as well try to get his confidence back right off the bat. Is that your impression of uh, what Peyton was trying, and how do you think it worked? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what they were doing. And thanks for being here again, guys. It's always great to uh, visit with you on a mental Monday to get your checkup from the neck up. Um, I was quite surprised, honestly. They just kept him in the game. I thought they were going to go two, three series. I, I can't. I don't know how many series he played. He played pretty much the first half. It was it was twenty snaps, is what yeah. it was in total. Now, okay, the, the Sean Payton did say before the game he wanted them to get sixteen to eighteen. In this okay. case, he just happened to let them finish off the drive. It just took them well, a whole bunch of drives to get to 20 it, it was almost like he left them in, even after the starters were taken out, though, yeah. by the Cardinals yeah. on defense. He, they scored their touchdown against a second defense right. with their starters. Right. But I was surprised that he, he played that many snaps. I didn't, I didn't know going in he was going to play that many snaps. I would have thought maybe he played two series and then get him out. But um, – yeah, it, it, I was quite surprised, and I know that they, they need reps. You can see, watching that offense, they need reps. And uh, as you know, Sandy, I, I rely very heavy on nonverbal communication, and he looks like the same Russell Wilson as I saw last year. He really did. And, I, and it's really sad to me because I, I don't think they've addressed what they need to address with him, and that's the neck up. Um, you know, I, you can get as many reps as you want, physiologically but if you're not right from the neck up it's not going to matter and I just think I'm not saying he's not going to play well this year but he's got to make some changes between now and week one because I didn't see it just yesterday if I could just ask uh, in a broader sense because we were talking about it earlier and I don't think I've ever asked you this before when you're looking at an exhibition game that doesn't count in the standings right I read all the reviews of the game and they have a lot of stats and stuff. And I'm getting the sense that that's not what you're interested in. When you look at an exhibition game, you're looking at body language, whether it be individual or collective. Yes. Would I be close to correct on that? And yeah. That's how you look at preseason game. You talk about nonverbal communication that body language right yes did you see any difference not just from wilson but from the offense in general 
in terms of body language as they were admittedly floundering into literally uh, the last play. The last play was a touchdown pass, and then they got taken out of the game. But the 19 or so that preceded it weren't very good. No. You know, I want people to understand one of the things I pledge to be as a psychologist is objective with an OB. Objective, not subjective. And I got to tell you, honestly, the offense looked very poor in very many ways. We have quantitative assessments. That's numbers. Qualitative is the human experience. And you can watch their body language. You can watch the way they play. I, I watch quarterbacks, and I can tell you by the way they walk up to the line of scrimmage, by their eye contact or lack thereof, the way they command an offense, the way an offensive lineman lines up, all of that tells us a lot about the psychology of a player. And it looked to me like an offense that wasn't sure of itself. It wasn't really convicted in what they were doing. And the results were consistent with that. So I think the offense has a, a long way to go. I'm not saying they won't be there by week one. Perhaps they will. But at least at this point, my assessment would be a C- minus in terms of their score on offense. Well, obviously this is the uh, the beginning of a process. The offensive line was a major problem. I'll give you guys a couple, a, a number that is you know, disconcerting at best. Uh, Warren Sharp puts together a lot of data-driven stuff about the NFL, went back and looked at every quarterback that had five or more dropbacks mm. this weekend. That's a painful, laborious <laughs> task. So a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> the pressure rate on all of those quarterbacks, the quarterback that was pressured the most was Russell Wilson at 64%. Mm. The, question, the quarterback that was pressured the third most with Jared Stidham at 59. Mm. No matter how you sliced it, the Denver Broncos offensive line was abysmal in this game. And in Russell Wilson's case, I'm going to offer a slight defense. He played more from the pocket in this preseason game than we've ever seen him play in an entire game as the Denver Broncos quarterback last year. And he was reasonably effective from there at times, making the right read, ditching the ball, and stepping up and delivering passes. So, the challenge for Wilson, who at this point certainly knows his offensive line is not very good, and as a coach that is insisting that he stays in the pocket, how does he go ahead and make those two things fit together? Well, it's from the neck up. He's the one that has to really believe in the game plan, the play calling, and thus how to distribute the ball. But if he doesn't, you know, it's it's so important. The offensive coordinator, the head coach – the quarterback coach and Russell Wilson all have to be on the same page. I have been part of teams where the OC and the quarterback are on the same page, but the quarterback coach is not in on it. The head coach is not in on it. So we got to have those four people that are really in cohesion to help him perform to its peak level. What I see, Sean, is just that look in his eyes. It looks hollow. It looks hollow. There's not a conviction there. There's not a strength. There's not an eagerness. It just looks hollow, and I'm not sure why. I've said here before that he he lost his mental enhancement coach over a year ago, um, Trevor Moad. He lost him. Trevor passed away, unfortunately, with cancer. I know that had a dramatic effect, but that's, that's over a year and a half ago, and I'm not saying get over it, but you have to move on in the NFL. You know, next play mentality, you got to go next next season mentality. So I think Russ has some challenges cut out. I think the whole offensive does, and I think it starts from the top. I think it starts with the offensive coordinator, starts with Sean, that they can get everybody on the same page and, and, and really function together because that offense on, on just the other night yesterday did not look like a well-functioning machine, and I, and I give it back to the coaches. They're the ones that have the reps with them. They're the ones that are teaching and coaching them, and I just don't see it happening with them right now. I, I want to ask you about that 
loss that Wilson experienced because I, I think we can all be sensitive sure. to something like that. I mean, they were closer yes. than most. Uh, I mean, I know you've had close relationships with, with players, very close yeah. relationships. And if if you lost any one of them or, or they lost you, it, it would have an effect, whether it's an offensive player or a defensive player, but especially with the quarterback. And he was involved, apparently, Moab, in many areas of his life. The whole yes. Russell Wilson brand right. was closely tied in with this man. And there was a story last year about uh, Ryan Leaf, who was in the recovery process, and was doing the game on Christmas Day for uh, Westwood One, I believe, between the Broncos and the Rams out at SoFi, which turned into a total fiasco. But in any case... Ryan Leaf had a relationship with Moab Mm -hmm. and thought, hey, uh, he and Russell Wilson aren't that close, Leaf and Wilson, but we do have this person in common, and I miss him. And I thought, you know, if I ran into Russ before the game, maybe we could could chat about that and commiserate, whatever. And he he said, uh, not, not in a critical way at all, he said, Russell Wilson just didn't want to engage on, on that. He didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's pretty consistent of what I see. He looks withdrawn. He looks like he's taken a passive response to that loss. And I've always said this, Sandy, as you know in my book, we're talking about finding the beauty in any struggle. You can find beauty in any struggle. Even though Trevor passed away and he was your mental guy, you've got to find the beauty in that. There is beauty in that. You know, you've got to be able to take – those deficits and turn them into asset thoughts. And so that to me explains a lot because Russ looks withdrawn. His, like I said, your eyes can tell you a story, paint a picture, and he just and looks hollow. I, I, didn't watch him, I didn't watch him every week in Seattle. But I remember when I did, including in the, in the Super Bowl with the Broncos, there was this energy, this yes. dynamism, this look in his right. eyes. He couldn't wait to get on the field. And now he looks like he can't wait to get off the field. Yeah, he looked to me. If I would give a, a five-word description and count me on this one, I would say he he does not look like he enjoys the game anymore, and that to me is key. You've got to love this game. You can be talented, you can be gifted, you can you can be in the right scheme, but if you don't love this game, you will never reach your potential. To me, he has lost a zest. A passion for this game. Can it come back? Perhaps, but I don't see it right now. If you guys are right, and that ends up being the, the case, that it's, it's become more of a job uh, for Russell Wilson, which it does for players yep. at, at times, and it, it does at times near the end of their career, but it also does at times, at times in the middle of people's career, and they find a way through that. If that is, is the case, how does he find that joy, especially given the very real pressures the the contract is pressure mm-hmm. he's had ex-teammates bagging on him mm-hmm. since he left with pressure uh pressure from the media pressure to perform pressure from a subpar offensive line all these things expect a better russell wilson and they expect it right now yep <laughs> how do you do that a step at a time well he, you can't do it all at once no. you're just human no right but he he can have the right people in his external group a mental coach, you know, the checkup from the neck up. He's got to have somebody that can get inside and say, look, we've got to shape our thoughts. 
because if you don't, the shots will, the, your thoughts will shape you. And that's what's happening right now to him. You can see that he is not convicted. He has to work from the neck up, Sean. It's not the neck down. He's getting plenty of reps. He's, he knows what he's doing there. It, it, it's, the, it's the checkup from the neck up. And here's the sad commentary about mental enhancement in the NFL. Out of 32 teams, I estimate 25, 26 teams don't really understand sure. what they're doing. They really don't. They, they think they will. They are when they hire a, a clinical psychologist, but they don't understand the wellness piece. Because this is all kind of, and I don't mean to interrupt, but, I, but it's, it's all kind of new, right? I mean, we're not yeah. that far removed from coaches, my way or the highway, right. things my yeah. way because this is the way I always did it. The concept that the players were just uh, numbers that you just churned through over and over again with new guys. You right. do it my way or get out or find somebody else. Right. This is still all relatively new to not only the NFL, but sports in general. But the NFL seems to have been the slowest to adopting it. Yeah, because there's this machismo mentality that you have in the NFL that, no, I'm good, I'm good, I can handle this. But they're not good. Many players are not. You know, Emmanuel Sanders said to my sons one day, he says, your dad's the reason we won the Super Bowl. And I thought he was kidding, you know, just giving me a compliment. And he says, no, you set a climate and culture that it was okay that we loved each other and played together. And when I went to Demarius's, I mean, Demarcus's, there's a there's a Freudian slip, but yeah. at Demarcus's party at the at, at the um, Hall of Fame, you know Danny Trevathan, uh, Brandon Marshall, Chris Harris mm-hmm. Jr. These kind of guys were like, man, you you gave us that love, that togetherness mm-hmm. that we had on our defense, and we were unstoppable. I'm not saying I'm the difference, but I'm telling you what. But Wade Phillips helped too. Wade Phillips helped too, but I'm telling you this, Sean, just to get right. to your point, it is relatively new in the last ten to twelve years, but. We've got to understand how important the neck up is, the mentality of performance, the mentality of performance. If we do not, you know, deploy ourselves out there on the field on the parasympathetic side of the autonomic, which is the calm side of the autonomic nervous system, we will play tense. We will play tight. We will play. We will not play with conviction and strength. And when the NFL finally figures that out top to bottom, not just the top five teams, but when they finally fo- figure that out top to bottom, we will have a league that has more have, have a, a performance level that is mental as well as physical. We have way overemphasized the physical part of the game, and thus we're that far behind in terms of understanding how the mentality affects everyday performance. What did you see, if anything, that was behind the miserable performance from the kickers? The other night, both of them, Yeah. Uh, not that they were shanking every attempt, but the extra point was barely made. Right. And obviously there were, uh, from Marr, a missed field goal and one that was blocked. Right. And from Fry, a, a missed field goal, although he did make a 55-yarder uh, later on in the, in the game. Was there anything you saw in that other than the idea that the Broncos uh, – may have to start searching again for a place kicker come opening day no, because he, these two guys didn't seem to be cutting it. No, you know what the Broncos need is a better performance coach because that performance coach will teach him to stay on that parasympathetic instead of the sympathetic and side. And you worked with Brandon McManus. Oh, yeah. I, Brandon was at the, at, the, uh, um, at the Hall of Fame, and Brandon and I were talking about what I did with him. You know, as simple as this. This is going to sound so simple. I taught him a mantra. I've been here before. I've done it. I'll do it again. That calms the brain. Why do we want to calm the brain? Because we want to be on the parasympathetic side, which is the calm side. Kickers, quarterbacks, punters, if they're not on the parasympathetic side, they're going to they're going to experience muscle tension, 
and then they're not going to be have the same leg swing, the same arm swing, arm path when they throw. It comes down to regulating the autonomic nervous system before you kick the ball. And once you do that, the rest is true. They've kicked thousands and thousands and thousands of balls. And if they don't regulate themselves, they'll never be able to kick accurately. And and, and just quickly on, on that, when a guy gets uh, the experts in your field, call mm-hmm. it like me, yep. call it the yips. Yep. Okay, but what can the – let me ask you the question this way. Can a field goal kicker get the yips? Absolutely. They Just can get like the a yips. golf or yes. a putting. Yes, absolutely. But we can teach them techniques that they use on the sidelines three minutes before they go out on the field to regulate that. Again, put them on the parasympathetic, and then their leg swing will be true. It's a technique. It's easily it's taught. It's like a golf swing. It must, most definitely is. And when we teach them those techniques, it can regulate the anxiety so they can deploy what they truly are out there. I mean, what do we say? What's the the old uh, axiom, slow heartbeat. Yeah. It's really not that far from the truth. He is Dr. Rick Perea. Thinkoneforyou.org is the website. Thinkone, the number four, you.org every Monday for their checkup from the neck up with Dr. Rick Perea in studio. Thanks so much, Doc. Appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. See you next week. All right. More about this Broncos uh, loss. Not that the loss matters, but the performances within it do. As Sean Payton correctly pointed out, this might have been the most important football game that a lot of these people have ever Played. So who stood out? We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. The Never Broncos are 0-1 in the preseason. Not that that matters in the slightest. John Payton did mention that uh, you never want to lose a game, and that's that's part of the cultural shift well, that he's it, trying it, to pull off. He and, said he hates to lose, and, and I don't don't like, like losing that. that way for sure. And he did say that. He said especially that way. But the thing I picked up on was I hate to lose. And my problem generally with the Broncos from a competitive point of view is that I'm not sure they have a single player on the current roster, nor have they on rosters over the last six, seven years by and large who hate to lose just can't stand to lose, no matter what it is. And with some guys like Simmons and Sertan, it doesn't matter. Sertan has experienced nothing but winning, and he's had a lot to do with that winning throughout most of his career, Mm -hmm. Uh, not so much as his first couple of years in the NFL, but he's still a terrific player. And uh, so is Simmons, even though he's been around for seven non-playoff years and six straight losing seasons, but hating to lose is different from wanting to win because everybody wants to win. Right. Not all that many people hate to lose. I thought that's what made Jimmy Connors the tennis player he was. It, it's, it's, it, it wasn't his raw physical gifts. It was just that he hated to lose. And a football, a, a football locker room is made up of so many different disparate parts that you're going to have so many different personalities in there. There isn't going to be one dominant sort of locker room culture unless 
you can all sort of meet in the middle about concepts of professionalism, right? So I think when you're trying to run a team like Sean Payton has coming off of three first-time head coaches, that's what you have to do. Because you can have guys that don't necessarily hate, hate to lose. They like to win, but they don't hate to lose. That doesn't mean they can't be very effective players on your team, maybe even the best players on your team. But everyone has to buy in on something. And oftentimes that can be as simple as, okay, well, this is how we handle our business on the practice field. This is how we handle our business. That's why, as, as a bit silly as it was, his idea prior to the game of no Gilligan hats, no sunglasses, keep your pads on, um, it, it is silly. And perhaps he wouldn't have needed to say it if he was joining a team that already had a track record of winning. But on a team that has not had a track record of winning, you're trying to create a culture with those starting points of simple things that everyone can get around, especially while you're getting used to the guys on your roster. So that's part of the equation that I think we don't really discuss about building this. And I guess I'll look as far uh, not to go over it for at all. We'll look at the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray hates to lose. Hates to lose. Hates Clearly. losing more than he likes winning. He's Clearly. that guy. Yes, that's his temper. I don't necessarily know if Nikola Jokic is. And I don't no. think and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Nikola Jokic is the best basketball player on the planet. But if right. everybody was that way, it can be a problem. Now you have a Jamal Murray on there as a perfect foil to Jokic. They're both extraordinarily gifted right. and skilled players who play off of each other extremely well, even though they don't necessarily approach their craft in the exact same fashion. That can work on a football field, too. In fact, it has to, because you're never going to have 53 guys with the same personality type. If you're not going to have it on a 12-man basketball active roster, you're not going to have it on a football team. But of course not. I don't think they've been able to identify that for the most part yet. And I would say that the at least in Simmons' case, doesn't appear to be one of the, not that he's had a choice, but appear to be one of those guys because he's positive and so we'll get him next week. He's that kind of guy. That's good, too. On, on a team that has high expectations, you also yeah. want players like that. Well, you don't I, get too and, down. But, but, but I, there's got to be a blend. Point without suggesting that Justin Simmons changes personality. Oh, right. And no, be I somebody I, he's I don't not, think you or were. Patrick Satan change his personality and temperament and start throwing stools around in the locker right. room. Okay? I, I, I'm not saying that but that there has to be somebody in the organization and maybe that somebody is sean payton who's going to come in and say i i don't like to lose at anything i think and right especially now when he be. said that we'd lose that way okay you have two chances to win the game there's only nine seconds left you can stop them from scoring the touchdown and you can stop the two-point conversion and this all happened within the last nine seconds they stopped neither. They failed on, on both plays. So lose a game that way. And for those of us who watch the Broncos closely, including the fans, including most of our listeners, I'd assume, it, 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 the loss just had a familiar feel to it. That I know it's third stringers in the game at the end, but it, can't somebody on one of those two plays do do something to stop. If you're a Broncos fan and you're even not concerned. one of the two because that's all you needed to do. But even your third stringers can't stop Arizona's third stringers. Right. How good are you really? Now, I, I, I will say this. It, it partially in their defense. I don't think David Blau is anything more than 
a pretty good backup. But he is a pretty good backup. But he has started games mm-hmm. in the NFL. And if he's the third quarterback, he's out there with a lot more savvy than almost anybody else around him among the other 21 players on the field in the last few minutes of the game. So I, I, I will give them that, that Blau, as they say, has been there before in the sense that he has started games in the NFL and it, it, as a starter who yeah. started a game and finished a game uh, a few times. He knows, including, including last year last with that minutes. team, he started right. two years for the Cardinals. Well, the last few, few, the Cardinals few too. minutes of that uh, that game the other night, he's on that side that Doctor Perea talks about, the parasympathetic side. I mean, he's regulated. He he has his emotions under control, and in a way that maybe none of the other twenty one players did. So I w- I will grant them that, but I I think it's enormously frustrating because. These third stringers are competing at it, back to the most important game of their lives statement for, for a third stringer. It might be, it's your last chance to make a first impression. Yeah. And it's a chance you may not get in that kind of situation in either of the next two preseason games. And then they cut from 90 to 53 after that. Yeah. And that formulated practice. Squad. And, and actually I think it's, it's, it's still, that's still reasonably new, and it honestly is up for debate a little bit whether that's better for players or not. In fact, I I actually I have no tend idea. to believe I <laughs> I have no idea if it's better. Or not. I think it's probably not because if you're going to be cut at all, and you're going to be one of the what be a whole lot. Basically, of there's what there. you have ninety to fifty three, yeah. so you're cutting thirty seven players. Yeah. Uh, thirty seven times thirty two. Quick math is that's a lot. I, I guess I'd almost rather it be in waves because you have a simply a better chance of being uh, seen. Absolutely. And so I think the the way the mass cuts work now make it even more important to stand out when you can because otherwise you're just going to be one of the thousand plus people. They, you they do, do stay around they longer. They do stay around longer. And that's the and counterpoint. More, more of your stuff goes on tape. And I think for somebody like, oh, Elijah Garcia. Right. Who had two sacks on three plays <laughs> in the ballgame the other night. It, boy, that that's very big for him. And he may get some run in the next two games as a result of that. They may put him in with the twos. And the twos, if even I were the Broncos, next week, I would. will play a fair amount. I thought of all the defensive players out there the other night, he was the one who looked most effective. Now, Benito. I know he's playing against threes from Arizona. Yeah, but zone, he's a three. But he's a three. He stood out he against his expected level of out. competition. Yeah, and that's the whole idea in preseason. One way or the other, you want to stand out, and you hope it's for reasons other than taking two or three personal foul penalties, yeah, <laughs> uh, or jumping offside. Uh, it, it, but this guy played a clean game, had a couple of sacks. I thought Turner Yell was good. Um, there, there were some. And the unfortunate thing about the game the other night is three starters or kind of semi starters, I guess the three starters right now, all went out. DJ Jones, Josie Jewell, Nick Benito. Uh, that's too bad, but it also opened up maybe a little more time for Elijah Garcia, a little more of a chance to get noticed, and he he took on that opportunity and was clearly exuberant. Uh, in, in his reaction, as well he should have been. 
And that the two things I want to see with the Broncos uh, are exuberance and a hatred for losing. And, uh, I mean, I go back to Connors again. Nobody was more exuberant than Connors was. I mean, we remember the famous 1991 U.S. Open performance. I, I don't know of the course of a tournament I've ever seen anybody show more exuberance than Connors did as he was closing in on his, what was it, 39th birthday, I think it was, um, in just a, a remarkable performance. And it was all about exuberance and a hatred for losing, refusing to lose, and calling back through all the years, uh, previous occasions in which he had, as Dr. Perea put it, done it before. And knew even at 38, 39, he could do it again. And I, I, I just don't see either the exuberance or the hatred for losing on this team yet. And maybe it comes from Peyton. Uh, maybe it comes from some of the assistants. And I've heard some good things about some of these assistant coaches. We both admit we don't know many of them, nope. right? No. Or any of them, really. A- apart from the holdovers, we know those mm-hmm folks a little bit but wh- where is that going to well, come from and unless you came in from outside the broncos it's hard to start loving winning more than losing when you haven't done it that often and realize what it feels like that's just the simple reality the broncos did suffer injuries as sandy alluded to uh we have the latest on those they have to walk through today at dove valley we'll give you the updates on all of them as we break down the broncos first preseason weekend we'll do that next on miley sports <laughs> 